welcome to the Microsoft 365 Developer Podcast with your hosts, Jeremy Thake and Paul Schaeflein. Each week, you'll catch us speaking to expert developers about new tech, lessons learned, and opinions in this space. Hey, Paul, how are you doing? I'm doing pretty well. My life is full of boxes, but doing pretty good. How about yourself? <laughs> so you've moved into your new home and you don't have internet clearly because your video is not on and you sound really crackly. Yes, that is correct. But I do have internet through uh, tethering my iPad, but uh, fortunately the cloud continues to, to roll on and our recording locally scheme works just great. So I'm here ready to rock and roll. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad it's going okay. I don't look forward to my uh, boxing of my house but um, I keep postponing what I'm doing here so I'll, I'll, I'll just live vicariously for you the boxing isn't bad it's the unboxing that's the issue <laughs> well, it's true it's, we just have to get rid of everything turn up with yeah. a, a bed and a toothbrush good to go so we had um, Brian Jacket on this week about graph connectors but I just wanted to make sure everyone was aware that we kind of put out a variety of different blog posts on Microsoft Builders, like wrap-ups, basically, which are available on the M365 developer blog, but also the Microsoft Graph blog and, and the different blogs that are around the different product categories. So if you're not already following those blog posts, I'd highly recommend you check those out. The M365 one basically wraps up you know, all of them. So you can kind of get to all of the blog posts, whether they're a SharePoint blog, a Teams blog, by just hitting up that particular blog as opposed to going down into the graph site and looking at the graph blog and then the team's blog and everything else. So there's a few ways you can kind of access that information. Um, so what I'll do is I'll make sure we have the um, developer.microsoft.com slash Microsoft 365 slash blogs in there, which will kind of roll up all of the different product groups we have. Um, and in there, you'll see all the different blog announcements and you can kind of Field of all the categories and so forth as well. So there was a good graph blog post there that kind of listed all of the sessions that happened with links to all the YouTube videos that are on demand. And I think last week we'd already put in the YouTube video of or the YouTube playlist of all of the um, the build sessions. Have you had a chance to watch any yet, Paul? Or any more the last time? I guess because you've been moving. I have not. <laughs> <laughs> no, which I kind of prefer this this text-based blog recap uh, with links to the details, right? As as I see fit. So uh, I'm just uh, I'm not I'm not I'm not as uh, I don't learn as well watching videos. I want to read it and try it myself. So, but uh, it's glad that there's all the avenues for all the, all the different styles of learners. Yeah, and then actually, um, in our minor Rabia session at Bill, we talked a lot about universal actions in both Outlook and Teams, and. There's now a specific blog post that came out on June 3rd, which we'll put in the links to, which kind of talks about the benefits of a more consistent model for submitting adaptive cards or, you know, the action model within adaptive cards. And they're calling that universal actions. And so they show screenshots of it showing up in Outlook and Teams and buttons working in both the same way. So if you didn't see Rubia's and I's talk on that, the BA car two, four, three. Um, the links are in the show notes for this podcast as well. And it goes into a lot more detail there. But the blog post is great. It's like really visual. I think it's one of the better ones we've done recently with animated GIFs to show all those things. So again, you kind of not even watch the video and kind of get the gist of it through just looking at the blog post, which is good. I cannot wait for that to roll out across all the adaptive card hosts. Oh, I'm sure you must be doing a lot of this, right? 
Yes, and including running into the reasons why universal actions were invented. <laughs> so it's on our backlog to update all our adaptive card submit buttons of various different types into the universal action. So this will definitely reduce our code base in a good way. Yeah, that's cool. And then Matt Krauss, who actually had a meeting with yesterday, and he was talking me through this in more detail, which was great, has done another one of our Microsoft Graph mailbag blog posts um, where we're kind of getting people, you know, externally and internally, actually. And Matt's actually in our field as a customer engineer working with some of our high profile finance customers. And he's put together a post talking about here some scripts he's written using just the standard invoke method to call graph using HTTP. But then also he goes into detail about how he's using the um, the PowerShell SDK as well and the benefits it gives you of mainly around not having to manage tokens and handling throttling for you and different bits and pieces. So it's a really good article there. Um, so if you're an admin or you know admins, I'd recommend checking that out and we should get Matt on the show to talk about his scenarios. I know he's got some really cool samples in there of things like cleaning out all mailboxes within a tenant by, like for certain messages. So actually going and archiving specifically to kind of remove duplicates and, and from a compliance perspective or even from a, a security perspective, maybe there's a spam email that went out that you want to get rid of that people don't even run the risk of opening um, that you can manually go do that with these PowerShell scripts, which is really neat. So, um, yeah, it's cool little tool bag of stuff. I agree. You know, one of the benefits of PowerShell, since it came out, right, I can get a thing and react on it, or I can get a collection of things and pipe it through the pipeline and act on those. So being able to make graph calls as part of a pipeline or getting a collection of things from graph to put in the pipeline certainly is great for administrators. And of all the things that you have in the graph, I, you can certainly see how to do that. But there's a couple things I want to say on the PowerShell SDK. Number one, it's a bit developer-y. I want to say the name of the, you know, the noun that you're using kind of follows the graph API. And that in some of the parameters, like you can pass in a filter and it works great if you know how to craft a filter query. And and I've seen tweets and posts from Daryl on the GitHub issues about how you know they're trying to make that better. So if you've run into these similar kind of issues, feel free to go to the, the GitHub repo for the PowerShell SDK and open an issue and get your concerns voiced in there because the team is certainly looking for that feedback. And then the other thing, I'm kind of jumping out of order here, but I have many different tenants that we use, you know, for development and testing and staging and my consultants poke around to learn stuff and with production. I can never keep track of what tenant I'm in. If I'm in the Graph Explorer, for example, I can see what I'm logged in at in the browser. So I wrote a little uh, PowerShell extension, if you will. We'll put a, a blog post in here as well. So when you hit the space bar, if you're using the PowerShell SDK or even the M365 CLI, it does a little lookup to see what your context is and show you the account that you're logged in with so you know what tenant you're about to update or delete. So um, read the blog post that I will put a link in there too because I inherited this module from someone who started it and abandoned it, but I found it useful. So a couple little tips there that could help get folks moving along on the SDK. Yeah, I wasn't aware of this stuff. So that's actually really neat that, I mean, I'm usually just in one tenant, but definitely come build season where I'm bouncing around. It's always nice knowing you're actually in the right context before we start running things in here. Especially an update or a remove. <laughs> right. What other news uh, this week did you find from the community side of the house? So a few a while ago, we had uh, your colleague Nick Charlebois on to talk about the SharePoint DSC, which is desired state configuration. Well, there was an update that we found a link in the tech community posted by Yorick Kujis, and I probably mispronounced that Yorick, I'm sorry. 
But there is a new version of SharePoint DSE version 4.7 is now in the PowerShell gallery and decent sized list of improvements and fixes and stuff. So the DSC module is alive and well, and there is an issue list and uh, a wiki about how to use it and things they're looking for help with. So if you are in that space, go get it. Yeah, that's cool. It's been great to see Nick continue to do that um, moving into my team. And we're trying to get creative on how we can get more and more people involved because it gets a lot of usage and there's a lot of porting happening to move to the graph PowerShell library as well. Um, so it's, it's amazing how many people are using it on a daily basis. It kind of blows my mind. Yeah, I, I don't think I've used it since I don't create SharePoint farms anymore. But there's all the benefits there that, again, technical debt and backlogs are in the way. But if you're not sure why you could use it, go back and listen to Nick's interview that we did and learn how you can get your cloud environments set up the way you want. And off you go. So great stuff. Cool. Well, look, there's a good show this week. We finally got to talk about all the graph connect and stuff that we've been working on for a while. Brian has been an absolute amazing star internally at getting this stuff going with our partners. So um, definitely the right person having the show to talk about it. If there are other topics you want to hear about, please reach out to us on our Twitter handle, um, the M365 Dev Podcast. Paul does a great job of making sure we're posting all our episodes every week on there so you can kind of get notified. And please tell your friends. And we would love, absolutely love, if you could go to the iTunes store uh, and give us a nice review of the podcast there because we're finding more and more that influences our discoverability when people start searching for the show. So if you've been listening to this and you've listened to more than 10 episodes and haven't posted a review, shame, shame on you. We would love you to go do that um, and just give back for all the work that Paul and I and all our guests do to prep all these interviews for the show. So thanks again, Paul. I'm glad you're um, getting slowly out of your boxes in your new place and uh, see you next week. Sounds great. See you. Hey, so I'm with Brian and Paul today. Hi, Brian. How are you? Hey, Jeremy. Doing well today. How about yourself? Thanks for jumping back on the show. We, we had you on like literally 10 episodes ago to talk about the uh, mailbag series. But um, now that build's over, we can talk about the thing you've been working on for quite a while. Yeah. Yeah. Build was definitely a, uh, a large chunk of my time the past couple months. For those of the listeners or new listeners that don't know who you are, could you explain what you do at Microsoft and kind of a bit of a background on yourself? Absolutely. Uh, my name is Brian T. Jacket, member of the Microsoft Graph team on the customer partner experience. So under Jeremy here. It's a good team. Yeah, it is a great team. We're, we're essentially the voice of the customer and the partner, bringing back you know feature requests, blockers, other things they'd like to see, um, you know, helping with documentation and a lot of that kind of community aspects as well. So that's a, kind of a quick summary of who our team is. So there's a map behind you. Is that the community, the map and the map behind you? We see it in the community call every month and I've been dying to ask. <laughs> I can see Chicago today, but it doesn't look like me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for those of the folks who are, are audio only, which is basically the entire podcast here, this is like the absolute conversation starter. So everyone will see me on video and I've got a big map of the United States behind me uh, in my office. And it's actually a uh, magnetic map. My wife and I, when we moved in, uh, we put this like magnetic paint. It's like iron shavings, basically. And you literally put it on the wall. So literally the entire wall is magnetized. 
And uh, before I joined Microsoft, I was traveling, I don't know, three to five times a month going different places. And I just pick up a simple, you know, fridge magnet from somewhere and, uh, you know, kind of show where I've been at. But now that I got a family, we'll actually, you know, take the kids somewhere and visit somebody or go see some new place. And I always kind of keep track of that. And it's a little trip down memory lane for them of, oh, you know, visit these cousins here or what to see, you know, grandma and grandpa there. Uh, it's a nice kind of little conversation starter. I, I prefer the story of it's people who talk shit about the Microsoft graph. We mark them on the map. So <laughs> get them later on in life <laughs> no no we're, we're kind to all people who provide feedback to us right it is amazing how many people we get asked that question of you in meetings it's a good point to make sure that you have some kind of starter discussion as part of your uh uh, part of your background in teams. Yeah. And the funny part was my wife and I were actually uh, redoing the office, I don't know, six, 12 months ago or something. And we thought about moving my desk. And over time, it was like, no, like everyone sees that and <laughs> now they've got to see it. So, yeah, if if we change, I cannot repaint the other wall. So, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's permanently there. And so, what have you been working on? Obviously, if they've probably read the title of the podcast already, they know. But what have you been working on literally since like November of last year, right? Yeah, it was uh, sometime in November, December. Um, I essentially got put onto the Graph Connectors uh, SME, the subject matter expert. And so really the goal here is to be able to take external data and be able to ingest it into Microsoft Graph. And it lights up a lot of different experiences. So it might be for search, it might be for e-discovery, for intelligent discovery, a lot of other different kind of things that will light up because of being able to ingest that data. And so as a SME for this, uh, it's kind of my responsibility to take any of the existing materials that we had and essentially come up with a pitch deck, you go out and start actually talking to partners, to customers, getting their feedback, trying to give them some additional awareness around what actually are graph connectors, how do you build them. And then as we got into the build time frame, I was really starting to narrow in on specific partners who were, you know, kind of leading the efforts in, in development and get them ready for, you know, putting together demos, putting together different material and other things that we're going to showcase uh, at build. And so actually in, in Jeremy, in your session, uh, we had a couple of different partners that we highlighted, um, folks like GoOne, uh, and being able to show, here are the experiences that actually do show up. To me, what was really, really cool about this is that, um, you know, traditionally, when you go into experiences like Bing or Office or SharePoint, and you're trying to do searches, great that you can go and get back, you know, the, the native content in Microsoft 365. You know, I got Word files, I got PowerPoint, I got Excel, I've got Teams chats and people and things like that. Um, but really what's missing there is, you know, not everyone is going to be uh, in there 100%, you know, just looking for first-party content. Might be that I've got project plans somewhere else. Might be that I've got customer information or I've got HR data in some other system. Uh, how do I go and find that content? And that's where, the, where your day starts to get broken up of, oh, I've got to go to this tool to go and search for something. I've got to go there. And you know, all those context switches, it really starts to kind of fragment and, and kind of disrupt things. So being able to have that same kind of experience across multiple different locations uh, is really a very, very valuable experience. And we hear customers and partners really asking for this. So it's a great way to be able to deliver this to them. Yeah, I think the, the biggest thing I've found with this is often I'll forget what the system name is or the URL of the system is. And you do rely a lot on bookmarking things or having like a OneNote page of all the systems you have to go check. And sometimes the URLs aren't that friendly either. And so by having the ability just to kind of have your enterprise search box just there and just plug in, I'm looking for this work item. I mean, even being able to do it across Azure DevOps with all the different projects that all of our different engineering orgs will be great once that's plugged in, which we, you know, we demoed that as part of the uh, session we did. Do you want to just explain like logically how that would work with Azure DevOps? Like what are the, as a developer building a connector, what are the things they have to do to get an Azure DevOps type system into 
the search experience of Microsoft 365? Sure. There's a couple of high-level components that go into actually creating a connector. And the first thing is, essentially, think of the connection. This is essentially a container for a lot of the other pieces that will follow from here. You'll have uh, things like a schema. And think of the schema as defining what's all the metadata that you want to actually ingest into Microsoft Graph. So as a user, maybe searching for things, you know, if I've got a file and exists in some kind of third-party repository, I want to know things like, well, what's the title for this? Who's the author, the modified date? All the kind of things that will be relevant for a search or for other types of experiences. And so the schema will actually help define what exactly are those pieces of metadata. Uh, and you can really think about this like a shallow copy. You know, we're not going to do a full fidelity copy of what is actually in the source system. Instead, think of what are the, the kind of key metadata or other areas that we want to ingest and be able to bring that into Microsoft Graph. Additionally, you can also apply ACLs, so access control lists, uh, which actually define well, what are the permissions to that content. You know, inside the source system, it might be that I have uh, you know content that only I can see, or maybe a team can see. Uh, so those ACLs, we can help drive that into the different search experiences or other things that light up, so that only the appropriate people are able to actually see that content inside of Microsoft 365 as well. And then beyond that, we're talking about essentially Microsoft Graph queries. Uh, so being able to ingest that data, to update it, and to be able to define um, the scheme and the connection properties, those are all just simple REST queries from Microsoft Graph using the appropriate OAuth authentication uh, to be able to work with that content inside of there. So am I actually, you said shallow copy. So does that mean that I need to provide some of this data into Graph and it's stored somewhere in the Microsoft Cloud? Or is it more of a federated search capability where it's hitting my system or both? Can you talk a little bit about how that would yeah, look? Yeah, so good questions. This is an ingestion process. So we are taking um, some form of data. Again, you know, we're thinking like titles or properties, um, you know, who's the author for it, other kind of things like that, that will be ingested into Microsoft Graph. And we actually store that data in the same data centers wherever your Microsoft 365 data tenant or your tenant data is being stored at. Um, so in terms of the compliance, in terms of the security, uh, protection of data, privacy, and all that, uh, we are following the exact same standards as we do for things like Exchange, for SharePoint, for Teams, and so forth. So wherever your customer data is being stored at, um, inside of Microsoft 365, same uh, location, same types of rigorous uh, policies and security for um, the Graph Connector data as well. So I guess there has to be some type of limit then to the you know the width of the row and the number of rows, or is it really... Use Microsoft's database for free. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so if, if you take a look at the documentation, and we'll share a link to this in the notes, and we'll talk about this at the, at the end for the resources as well, um, we do have some limits in terms of number of connections you can have in a tenant, as well as the number of items that can be ingested for this. Um, so current day, we are currently limited to 10 connections in a customer tenant, as well as 700,000 items um, for the entire tenant as well. Or sorry, for, for each connection out there. So uh, as long as you adhere to those standards um, and then follow just the, the simple rules for the schema as well, um, you should be good to go from a um, ingestion process and be able to work with that data. I think Paul, what Paul was asking though was more of like the size of each item though, right? Like, so how much text can you ingest per item you put in? Ah, excellent. Yeah, I know that there are some limits in terms of the um, the actual data size. Uh, if memory serves me correctly, I think it's four megabytes uh, of like open text data, um, and then I'd have to see what the what, like what the column widths are and you know the sizes for those things. But uh, I do believe we call those out in our documentation. 
The next question that comes to mind is that if I have a limited number of items, perhaps I only want recent items or only open items, et cetera. So is there a way for me to provide a delta or some type of refresh of the data that's there before? Is this a, a regularly scheduled thing? Yeah. So uh, excellent questions. I'll actually break that up into kind of two areas. One is the, you know, what's the frequency for ingestion? And we see this in kind of two patterns. The first one may be that you want to do some kind of scheduled process. And the second one's more of a kind of on-demand or an event-driven process. So with the scheduled, you know, it might be that the data that you're ingesting doesn't really matter how frequently that goes into there. Maybe, you know, once a day, once a week, um, or some other kind of time span like that is sufficient. Uh, you know, it's where, hey, uh, you know, I don't need to have the most recent copy of the data. I just want to be able to search for it and be able to find back to the source system because it's not very, it's not changing very, very frequently. In terms of the more kind of event-driven process, there are scenarios where that data, you know, having the most up-to-date information or having the permissions reflect exactly to what they are inside of the source system, that's going to be much more of a, uh, a prominent kind of uh, feature that we want to support. And so for those areas, you will see more of kind of an event-driven process where, hey, as things fire in the source system, I'm then going to naturally call into Microsoft Graph to go and do the ingestion, do the updates, um, some more types of things that are going to be required for that data. Yeah, I was going to say, so I make a graph call that says, go get the data, or here is the data for the connector, right? So that's all initiated on my side or the external side, right? It'll be up to whoever is the author of the connector. So if you are a you know a customer building like a line of business um, application or a connector in that sense, essentially you are the owner of that data. You can push it kind of at your uh, leisure, whenever it makes sense for that. If you're a third party, maybe you know you've got a SaaS service or you've got some kind of uh, external system. You know, you as the owner of that um, that source system, you'll be the one pushing the data in on behalf of the customer. Yeah, I guess it depends on the rates of change of whatever that data is. Some data probably doesn't change as frequently as other data. You know, so you're going to have a different allowance allowance on kind of when you need to go push those updates in to keep that search index fresh. Yep. And then one of the questions you asked, Paul, there was around, you know, should I only be pushing the last month of data, the last year? Uh, really, it kind of depends on the use cases. And the thing that I, I always tell developers, I tell our partners is, think about the end user use case. You know, when someone is coming into Microsoft 365, what are they going to be searching for? What kind of activities are they trying to accomplish? What's, you know, the end goal of what they're um, trying to get done? And if it is that, hey, I only want to find, you know, the last 30 days of my customer interactions inside of a CRM system, okay, that, that makes sense in terms of how much data you should be pushing in, how long you should be retaining that for. Um, for other scenarios, no, I, you know, I need to go back years or I need to have, you know, the entirety of what that user's interactions are. So it really will depend on what the use case is and on what makes sense from a, like, how much data to push, how frequently to push. Um, but really, you know, kind of put your customer, your end user hat on and start to think about what are those scenarios that make sense and how should we go about approaching that before stepping into the, you know, the technical, oh, well, how do I do this? Um, re really think through just kind of what, what would make sense from a user perspective. So the graph connectors have been out for a while now. We announced them, I think the build before last, right? What, what was like the major announcements at build this year that has changed with connectors you know, other than the fundamentals of like, you know, indexing the content, being able to find it in search. Absolutely. So uh, Connectors G8 at Ignite of last year in 2020. And this year at Build in May, we announced a couple of new areas. Um, there are some improvements in the search hubs, basically the locations that you can go and search from. Um, so originally, we launched with Office.com, with SharePoint, and with Bing. At Build this year, we also announced the addition of Teams Desktop, of Teams Mobile, and Windows Desktop. So these are going to be coming in uh, essentially public preview in the coming semester. 
Uh, so kind of the July through December timeframe. And we're looking to be able to have that same type of experience that you saw inside of the other hubs, be able to also do that search uh, experience inside of these new ones as well. So great to see kind of that you know whole idea of universal search. Doesn't matter where you're searching from, but I can be able to support additional hubs now uh, with that new experience. For those that forget about Bing, what what how does the context of Bing come into here? Because I always associate Bing as consumer, and I think a lot of people do. Like, what is that scenario? Yeah, great question. There's been a little bit of a kind of history with being able to do different kind of enterprise search inside of Bing. Um, if you remember back from maybe a year or two ago, there was the concept of um, what they call Bing at work, I think. Uh, and that's actually evolved now into Microsoft Search for Bing, I think is the, the new kind of product name for this. Uh, but the idea is that, you know, we as Microsoft, we're seeing that when people are going and doing searches, a lot of times they might actually go to kind of a you know, quote unquote consumer Bing and actually search for content, but it was actually things that were, you know, actually in their enterprise or their corporate data stores. So maybe in SharePoint Online or maybe inside of Azure Active Directory. And so the idea here is that with this Microsoft search for Bing, I can actually search for content inside of just, you know, bing.com. And there's a little work tab up at the top on there. And when you go into that, you'll actually see things that are, you know, your enterprise, your corporation, your organizational data. Uh, so if you're looking for people, if you're looking for media rooms, if you're looking for files, rather than having to go to multiple sources, you can actually go and find that content all in one place there from the, uh, essentially the Bing search engine. You know, I on Edge, I configured the new tab experience to be, you know, the my corporate Bing's page. So I get the pretty picture of the day, but then, you know, it'll actually show a little bit like office.com with the things I've done and searches do it. So it's really pretty slick. I encourage folks to try it. And now, you know, when you were going on at the beginning about what the scenarios around what connectors bring, you said intelligent discovery, and that's something I obviously don't know anything about intelligence. So what exactly <laughs> is intelligent discovery and how do connectors play into that? Absolutely, yeah. There's two other areas at Build that we announced. There's the intelligent discovery and the e-discovery capabilities. In terms of intelligent discovery, this is really taking search and kind of inverting it. Um, traditionally with search, it's a user who's going out and searching for content, could be for files for people or so forth. Um, what they do with intelligent discovery is Taking a look at Microsoft Graph, we've got a lot of relationships, we've got a lot of insights, a lot of other things that are essentially being calculated based around the user. And so, you know, as I'm having meetings with people, if I'm having emails with them, Teams, chats, and so forth, a lot of times there is, you know, links that are being shared. It might be that someone is, you know, accessing or commenting on files that I own. And so being able to have almost a, a central location to go and find all those type of experiences, those types of activities, um, is really what intelligent discovery is about. So the first experience that we're launching with this is in office.com. Um, if you go to office.com, you'll see that up top, there's a recommended section. As well, down at the bottom, there is a you know, kind of all tab where it's got things that are um, things that have been shared with me, things that I've pinned, things that have been accessed by me recently. And so with Graph Connectors, we're opening up those experiences to also be allowed for third-party content as well. So in terms of recommendations, it might be that, you know, file people have commented on, you know, that I'm the owner for. I'll actually get little notifications about those things from the third-party content that's being ingested through connectors. And very similarly, with that bottom section where we have the, you know, the all, the pin, the shared, and so forth, um, for content that people are sharing with me, uh, not only can I see things that are going to be first-party content in SharePoint and OneDrive and other repositories, Additionally, we can also see that third-party content in there well. And this is actually an area that I've really seen a lot of power with. Um, you know, Jeremy and I and some of our teammates, you know, we kind of joke in that, you know, people will send us stuff in Teams and email and in other types of, you know, ways. And having to go back and find, well, where was this sent to me? You know, who sent it to me? When was it? I might have a quick inkling of, you know, I know Jeremy sent me something on Tuesday, but I really don't remember, was it in this team? Was it in this email? Uh, and being able to go to office.com and actually very quickly and easily find that content 
rather than taking me, you know, five, 10 minutes searching through all these different types of uh, locations, going directly to office.com and finding it in like literally five to 10 seconds. Um, that's a huge, you know, win for me from productivity. And so now being able to also allow this for third-party content as well, um, to me is a, is a real game changer. It just really opened my eyes to what is uh, so powerful about the platform, having all these insights, having these relationships and ways to kind of quickly and easily find content. Yeah, I do really love the Delve aspect of it that's kind of evolved into what we see now on office.com with the feed. Um, and the discoverability of things is is really neat. I think that the framing of intelligent discovery just highlights the fact that it is using a lot of logic to surface up those different things based on you know who shared it with you, who's opened it, who's modified it, when it was created. Um, it, I, I start there every day, basically. So as a developer, can I influence how the intelligent connection is made? Or is it really just a case of it's a bunch more entities that get interacted with and, and Office is still doing the intelligence and surfacing them for me? Yep. We're, we're in the very early days of you know how this whole um, kind of experience will roll out. Um, today, this is a private preview um, that we are working with a, a few select partners on. And essentially, those partners are able to send in specific um, kind of API calls that will help influence what that content is that's showing up in the you know, recommended or showing up in the recently accessed or the shared areas. Um, there are a couple of things that we do infer just by being part of the platform. You know, when I open up a SharePoint file, when I open up you know that third-party content, um, there are certain signals that'll just naturally happen because of you know access modified things like that. Um, but some of the the more explicit actions that are happening, those will be ones that essentially uh, today, at least in our in our um, kind of current process for this, will be an explicit call into Graph to help influence that type of behavior. Yeah, because I think that if I have my own in-house application or a SaaS service where you wouldn't know, Office wouldn't know that, you know, user X did something, you know that Paul and Brian are on a call together, but you wouldn't necessarily know what Paul's doing in the custom app. So what I'm hearing is that eventually the, the developer of these custom apps can say, hey, Brian interacted with this entity in my system. And then if Paul comes in there, maybe it shows up in Paul's list because of our distance, right? Correct. Yep. Yep. Yeah. We, we don't have insight into that third-party data. So we will rely on the developer, on the, the partner, whoever it is, uh, to be able to provide that type of information. Yeah. Hey, devs, start start thinking about what you want to what you want to share because that <laughs> was going to take some time to get it right. But that, that's great to hear. I really, I know we've been looking for this kind of information for quite a long time. So can't wait to kick the tires on on those APIs. Yeah. And I think there's like that, that abstraction layer that people have to think about, like the eventing layer that... It's usually the last thing that gets released in an API is <laughs> like when someone views or when someone edits or when someone shares, it, you know, it's the thing that we're finding that partners haven't thought about themselves or they've built the code so deep into their own system. It makes it hard to like call out to an external system when those things happen. And so abstracting that or having kind of nice pluggable interfaces to call out to external systems like graph connectors is something you have to kind of take into consideration when you're building your products. Yeah, it's fundamentally different than ingestion, right? I, it's yeah. easy enough for me to do a periodic scan of my storage and, and copy it, but the eventing bit is a lot more complex. So, yeah. And then what other things did we talk about that kind of has definitely raised interest in your opinion in the ISVs you've been talking to in the last few weeks since we kind of announced that at Build? Yeah, the, the last one in here is around kind of e-discovery. Um, and this is really related to, you know, kind of the compliance scenarios, the security scenarios. Um, a lot of times when we talk to customers, they will actually tell us, you know, we will not install a third-party application if we can't have e-discovery search, if we can't have retention, if we can't have legal holds, other kind of scenarios like that. 
And a lot of times what ends up happening then is, okay, well, I've got, you know, tool A for doing, you know, search against this one repository, tool B for another one, tool C, and you end up with, you know, four or five different e-discovery tools just to go and be able to search for content when you have litigation, when you have audits, when you have other types of, you know, regulatory uh, things come up. And so the idea here with connectors is if we're able to be able to do, you know, not only the search, the intelligent discovery, what if we can also support e-discovery search? And so what we're going to be launching into public preview is for um, in the Security and Compliance Center, I can actually do e-discovery searches against that third-party content as well. And so this is really helpful for a lot of scenarios where, hey, you know, I've got an audit that came up and I need to search for Project Contoso across all the different, you know, myriad of different services and tools and data sets that we have. And so with this, again, you know, as a compliance administrator, as an auditor, whatever your role might be, you'll be able to actually go and do that e-discovery search against all these different um, sources of data that's been ingested through connectors. So e-discovery search is kind of the first area that we're going to be rolling out with this. Um, but there will be additional compliance scenarios that we're exploring into and looking to release uh, kind of in the yeah, future. I think the really big story around this is the partners that are kind of all in on Microsoft Teams or have at least got part of their experience that the user uses within Microsoft Teams without ever leaving it. When they do a search in the search box at the top of Teams, many users expect that if they can see something in a team screen, they'd assume that they could search for it in the search box. And until Graph Connectors came along, that wasn't something you could do. Like if you had a personal app that was listing data from an external system, if you went into search, it wouldn't show up because it's not native Teams data. It's just a you know, a personal app data surface somewhere else. So Graph Connectors allows you to do that. And I think from an e-discovery perspective, the compliance teams, they don't understand the technology. They don't understand that a personal app is an iframe to a service that could be running in Google Cloud or AWS and the data is disconnected. And so having the ability for Graph Connectors to connect all that data and make it show up in kind of those compliance systems that they use already in M365, I think really kind of makes that story a lot more seamless for many different, you know, users of M365, depending on what their roles are. So I'm really excited to see kind of the, the jump and the buy on this. I, when we first saw this last year, Brian, it was kind of like, yeah, let, let's really work hard with these ISVs. And we've had a lot of interest. Um, and so it's kind of exciting to see what people are doing with it, which is great. So I have one more question, which you're probably not prepared for. But when I was chatting with Nicole <laughs> about the search, he mentioned in like in Sharep or Office.com search, we can do uh, some basic customization of the results using an adaptive card. And now in this scenario, if I have entity in the graph connector and I can find it in the team search box and I can find it in Office.com and then Bing, is there a way to control the UI for each of those contexts? Or do I get some kind of context as where the search happened? Or are we still early stages where it's going to be whatever? Microsoft gives us? Excellent question. There are a couple of different kind of avenues for this. Uh, so today, when you're going to do that customization of search inside of, again, you know, Bing or office.com or inside of um, SharePoint, uh, there is a, a search admin center where you can go and actually define what that result type is going to be. You can define the vertical and you can show what's, what's the display for that going to be. And we are using adaptive cards to control that experience. Um, for the majority of the cases, there will be you know, kind of a quote unquote default or a fallback um, layout so that as long as you've defined, you know, here's the title, here's the description, here's the, the author and things like that, those type of labels will map directly into that default uh, card on there. So you should be covered just from a, hey, I've got content and it shows up. 
A lot of times though, when we talk to developers, talk to partners, they do want to have control or some customization of that experience. And so thankfully we are using adaptive cards as kind of the uh, standardization for rendering that content. So again, whether you're in Outlook, whether you're in Teams, whether you're in all different kind of locations, adaptive cards is really coming to the forefront of how do we define what that structure looks like um, and do the data binding for that. Um, so we are in the kind of early stages of being able to essentially programmatically set what that adaptive card is going to be so that when you're inside of Teams, when you're inside of uh, SharePoint or Office or other locations, we can render that content to the specifications that you define for that. Um, so there will be some support for that on Graph to be able to go and set that uh, so that when you're talking about you know standardizing on, hey, here's the look and feel for this, you'll have the ability to actually go and um, set that out for that and then use the adaptive cards to, to render the content uh, so that it'll, it'll meet the ways that you want it to show. Yeah, because I can see in, in some, just the UI is different, right? The the search results in Teams is in that narrow narrower banner on the left edge of the client, whereas in on a SharePoint site, it's more of the wide column. So I can see some flexibility that developers are going to want for that. So I'm glad to hear that that's on the roadmap. And you talked a little bit about how people can get involved in some things being in private preview. What, what are you doing at the moment? What's the How can people get involved in this on the private side with our team? Sure. If you'd like to sign up for, you know, just kind of the what's next in the, the search development story, um, we do have a uh, essentially an intake form for this. If you go to http aka.ms slash search dev private preview, um, you can sign up for kind of your interest in a number of different areas. So if you're looking for graph connectors, if you're looking for the um, Microsoft Search APIs or a number of other areas, feel free to list out what your interest is, um, as well as different technologies that you've already worked with. So if you work with bot framework or adaptive cards or the um, Microsoft Search APIs, feel free to let us know on those things. And then we'll be able to make sure to, uh, to reach out to you as different private previews or public previews come available. That way we can get your feedback and be able to give you the most information um, at the time that that's made available. That's really cool. And is there a URL for where they can get started with the documentation? You know, our usual AKA links? Absolutely, yeah. Uh, so at Build this year, we did actually roll out a whole bunch of new updates for the Graph Connectors documentation. You can go to aka.ms slash graph connectors API. Um, and there we've actually got a, kind of a newer landing page for this. And it gives you a good walkthrough of kind of step-by-step. -step. What does it take to actually go and release a graph connector? How do I do the ingestion? How do I do the permissions? Uh, other kind of information like that. Um, so feel free to take a look through that and be able to see you know, what are all the different steps required to actually go and create a connector and um, start working with the content in there. And then separately, if you're a little bit more of the developer focused and you actually want to see the raw uh, HTTP queries that we're making for Graph Connectors, you can actually take a look at the Postman collection for Microsoft Graph. Uh, very recently, we did incorporate all of the Graph Connectors Postman samples and put them into the all up graph sample. Um, for that, you can go to aka.ms slash graph postman. Um, great way to go and see not only the graph connector uh, samples that are available, um, but also all the ones for, for users, for groups, for teams, and files, and so forth. So good way to kind of see you know, what are those queries, get access tokens, uh, understand kind of the life cycle of queries that would be made. Awesome. Well, look, thanks very much, mate. And um, I'm obviously, we're going to see each other soon, as in like, <laughs> later on today. But um, <laughs> yep. I, I just encourage people to... You know, go check this out. See, you know, I mean, we talked about this a lot from an ISV perspective today, but even as an enterprise application, if you're a solution architect or enterprise architect or a dev running a, a system, this is a great way to get your data into your users' experiences if they're using Microsoft 365. So I'd encourage you to check this out and explore this um, both as an enterprise developer or even as an ISV partner like Paul is. 
Paul, did you have anything else to add? Like, what's your impression of this? Have you even, you have, clearly you haven't kicked the tires on it with some of the questions you asked today, for sure. Well, I'm, I'm good at playing dumb, but um, it, yeah, I looked at it, 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 when it initially came out, it, it, yeah, I'm drawing a lot of parallels to the external data we had in SharePoint. Yeah. So yeah, it's definitely uh, on my list to kick the tires. Absolutely. So I'm looking forward to it. And the other thing I would mention is if listeners want to see Brian's map, join the community call. Brian is generally our MC on those uh, community calls. So uh, that certainly we'll put a link to in the show notes to all his resources that he mentioned today, as well as the community call for folks to get more about the graph. So thanks again, Brian, for coming on. Always great. Thank you, Paul. Thank you, Jeremy. Great to have the opportunity and really appreciate the time. Thanks, fellas. Thanks for listening to the Microsoft 365 Developer Podcast. Please follow us on Twitter at M365DevPodcast and check out our show notes at www.M365DevPodcast.com. To help us spread the word, we'd really appreciate it if you could retweet our episode tweets and give us a review on iTunes. 